0: Pod Save the Queen!
1: Hello and welcome back to Pod Save the Queen. I'm your host Anne Gripper, and we've got a different kind of show for you again today. I am back out on location. No Amber with me this time as when we went to Windsor to look at the uh, Royal Wedding exhibition. Um, but this time it's an episode... All about Prince Charles Because it is his 70th birthday today So happy birthday Your Royal Highness Or Sir Or Charles As we tend to call him um, We hope he has been having A marvellous uh, it was kicked off in fine style overnight with some uh, really beautiful pictures released to celebrate the happy occasion. Uh, from the same set that we'd uh, seen that original image last week, Prince Louis being held by Kate and Charles, chucking you know chucking uh, chucking him under the chin and cooing over the baby. Um, this was uh, two group shots. One at that moment when um, you know everyone actually miraculously. Had smiled for the camera, all looking at the same in the same direction, even all of the small children. So well done, Chris Jackson from Getty, for that. Um, but they also released the more candid shots, so Charles and Camilla with Charles's two boys, William and Harry, and their families, Meghan and Kate, and William and Kate's three children all absolutely in fits of laughter, Camilla pointing at something that was going on behind the camera and everybody looking like they were having a really happy time, which I, you know, I, hope, I hope will chime with many of you when you think of special family occasions. Um, so... Why is this episode special? Uh, Last week, we talked briefly about the documentary that was shown on the BBC, uh, Prince, Son and heir Charles at 70. And today, we are going to catch up with John Brickett, who is the writer and director of that documentary. Uh, For those of you who haven't seen it, it is a really fascinating behind-the-scenes look at things, um, hearing Charles... William, Harry and Camilla talking about um, the things that are important to Charles their relationship with each other their concerns for him as he gets older and all of those kinds of things. We also get to see Charles on his travels in the Caribbean in uh, in Australia for the Commonwealth Games and the things that are important to him at home the things that he's been working on for years and you know as well in fact when it comes to the environment but at home the Prince's Trust and then um, heritage and uh, restoring historic buildings um, particularly Dumfries House in Scotland which has become a place of employment training and um, know quite a focal point for the area but um, i'm going to meet up with john now and i'm sure he'll be able to tell us a lot more about it and what his impressions are of the birthday boy so hello john brinkett welcome to pod save the queen hello Hello. we're here in the bloomsbury hotel we've got a cup of tea we're not invited to Charles' birthday party. but he is, not. Sadly, the, I think the reporters have caught up with him today and given him some um, chilli-flavoured nuts to try and keep the squirrels off his bird table. Oh, really? Which, which apparently caused some memor- merriment. But you um, created one of the showpieces of television around his birthday, shown on the BBC last week, still on iPlayer now. How did, how did that all come about? How do you end up spending a year with Prince Charles, creating a
0: documentary about? Well, I've, um, I've made a number of films with him over the years. In fact, I made a a film for the BBC for his 60th birthday, which was rather different. Um, and, in fact, I, I met the Red Squirrels then, up in Scotland, at, um, at Burke Hall, where he we'd just finished filming with him, and he said, would you like to come and see my Red Squirrels? And I said, to see, oh, yes, you know, really would love that. And... Um, at the, at the sort of garden door, he had a bucket of nuts and he just sort of rattled it and in they came into the house um, and sort of sneaking taking all these nuts away. It was just hilarious. We, we filmed it and we actually ran it after the end credits of the film. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what the an outtakes. And you did... I kind of got that feeling watching, watching your new film that he, he could probably have been quite happy as a sort of a gentleman farmer and, and countryman when you saw him well, he, tipping, out, tipping out food for the chickens and admiring his rare breed pigs and all of this kind yes, of Yes,
0: he, he's very keen on, on the country life. Uh, I think living in London... You know, he has to live in London at Clarence house for part of the time, but I think it's very much... I mean, it's a lovely house, but it's very much the office for him because he goes... He spends quite a bit of time at Highgrove, his house in Gloucestershire, but I I suspect he's most happy when he's up in Burke Hall near Balmoral, which he spends three months a year, something like that, there. And that is not... Some people might think he's on holiday when he's up there, but actually he, he may take bit of holiday in the summer but mostly he's working um, full pelt up there and he's doing some engagements but mainly he's doing desk work and um, his staff are sort of you know deputed to do various bits of research and so on and he he will work sometimes I spoke to one person up there an executive assistant who was required to uh, to go and uh, work with him on I don't know, letters and speeches and so on at 10.30 at night until midnight, you know. And um, it's a fairly, he sets a fairly demanding pace. So I, I've been lucky to make these various films with him. And it came up to the 70th birthday. And I think he wasn't really sure whether he wanted to do a film or not. Um, but in the end, um, after discussion with the BBC and with his press office at Clarence House, um, the project went ahead on the basis that it would be an observational film rather than a more conventional sort of assessment-type film um, involving other people. So this, we were filming just him and the people he met en route, as it were, and members of his family.
1: Mm-hmm. It was very, we had, I think it was just four people that were getting interviewed, really, Charles, Camilla, right. William and Harry. Yes. And you're talking about the demanding pace that he set was one of the moments that um, made me sort of smile. Harry talking about having to go, you know his dad falling asleep in his work and sort of peeling the notes off his face and um, my parents might not thank me for this but I might regularly have to wake them up on the sofa when they've just fallen asleep in front of the telly and that, you know, they're a little bit younger than, than Prince Charles but that sort of sense of he really cares about stuff but actually hang on a minute, slow down. You're... Yes
0: well it's a syndrome that I recognise I mean um, I think it's something as you as you get older, you know, the idea of having a a, a, a late evening nap is um, is increasingly attractive, and something you, in some ways, you can't actually avoid. But um, it was very funny hearing Prince Harry talking like that. He spoke very frankly, and um, and I thought affectionately about his father.
1: It, it was very warm. There were lots of warm moments that the, the boys, really the boys, they might be a little bit younger than me, but not a lot. Um, you know, they, they shared about their, their father. And the, So Harry, when he launched into his story about litter picking on holiday, I should have started out on this is really quite embarrassing. All well, my friends are really going to take the mickey
0: out of me for it. I used to get taken the mickey out of it to, uh, at school for just picking up rubbish. I didn't go out consciously looking for it. Yeah. You probably did it as well. But when you go for walks anywhere, if you see something, it stands out, you pick it up. And before you know something, what are you doing? Where are you going to put that? It's like, well, oh, wow, I've literally done this because... I am I am programmed to do it because because my father did it and actually you know we we should all be doing well, it. He took us litter picking when we were younger. Yeah. On holiday. With, the, with You know the... we were we were in Norfolk um, on school holidays yeah. and we went that like, litter picking with him, and again both of us thought oh, this is perfect normal. Everyone must do it. Mm. You know we're there with our basically spikes stabbing the teenagers the the rubbish um, into black plastic bags. I'm sure there's an element of that, and. Um... I think Prince William was at times looking across and thinking, uh, "What are you going to say next?"
1: <laughs> Cause they, did, they, did, they were very different, actually. William was—he seemed more considered, and I don't know, maybe mindful of the fact that actually he will be the next Prince of Wales at some stage, and he will have to fashion that job in his own in his own way, as his father has done. And, and, there's that element to it and I think there's also an element to it that like this is Harry's year he's really come into his own with the wedding and taking big strides on the the public stage and sort of lifted somehow by having Meghan by his side and really propelled into you know very much the forefront and the focus because for all that Harry was doing quite a lot of work before it was probably William and Kate that were still getting more of the attention and the focus and you know the pictures in the paper and Journalists
0: following them around the world. Yes, I think I do. I think Prince Harry, you know, until relatively recently, he was seen as a, you know, as a bit of a prankster and and you know living living a little bit the high life with friends and so on. Um, I think I mean I think over the last few years that's changed and and even before um, he met Meghan, I think it had started to change and he's you know he's sort of. There was a, a, quite a sweet little interview that we did for the Queen's 90th birthday film when he t- was talking about Christmas at Sandringham and how um, he was talking about the younger generation, which he did not mean himself. He was talking about the, the, you know, the, the children. And he said, you know, when the younger generation start running around, he said, I feel it's time to sit down and have a cup of tea. <laughs> And this was not what I sort of the words that I thought I'd hear from Prince Harry. It was very much um, he was, you know, you felt he's he's starting to um, uh, to feel, he, you know, the onset of responsibility and <laughs> and middle age. I don't know, that's well, it's a bit a premature for him. Big
1: responsibility uh, coming for him next year, and he's going to become a father himself. So. Absolutely,
0: and I think I I feel that he's, you know, he he takes all this very. Very seriously and uh, he's, he's both very sort of uh, careful to look after his wife and, and to as happened before they got married with, with trying to protect her from press intrusion and so on and the way that he's he's very conscious of his, of his royal duties now and that's something that is uh, rather touching and I thought he's very committed to his father in, for the work that his father's done and feels somewhat sort of outraged by the fact that, that the media have not really and, and other people have not really given his father his due for being prophetic in a way on some of these issues and and you feel that Prince Harry's got that got that buzz about him that, that you know he's, he's going to um, well, be a very keen supporter on the issue of climate change, for instance. I mean, he, it's something he's not just being dutiful; it's very passionate.
1: And that that clip that was unearthed from was it the nineteen seventies, I think, of nineteen
0: seventy itself. Nineteen
1: seventy. Of... When he
0: was only twenty-one, when Prince of Wales was only twenty-one, talking about plastic waste. Um, I mean, it's it's you know, it, of course, there were some people talking about it then, but not many. And it was seen as really rather eccentric and sort of um, peculiar to be bothered about this, as though it's not really a problem, is it? And, of course, it's grown and grown. And um, if people had actually taken steps to avoid this single-use plastic in 1970, we'd be in a lot better place now. There'd be a lot more seabirds and whales and so on that would have had... um, an easier life without the digestive problems that they've had with plastic.
1: Oh, I think it would probably have struck a chord with my husband when Harry was saying, "I was like, my wife wants to keep turning all the lights on." I have to say, why do we only well, you can really need one? It doesn't need to be quite this bright. So, so you obviously did the the film ten years ago. How coming back again now? How do you see that ten years? How has Charles changed in himself or in his well, surroundings? When I...
0: When I did the film 10 years ago, he'd only relatively recently married the Duchess of Cornwall. I mean, that was, I forget, was it 2006, five yes, or six?
1: 2005, around five, then, yeah. I think.
0: So relatively recent. Um, I feel now that he's a man actually, despite what some people have written in the press, he's a man who's very much at ease with himself and at ease with other people. Um, I'm sure he still does get agitated about things, and you can see that from time to time. But I think he's—I um, mean, his wife talks about him not being bothered about the sort of his destiny weighing heavily on his shoulders. And I think he—that's he, all part of it. That he's—he knows that's coming, and he is—he—he he has sort of developed into that role, although he hasn't assumed it yet. But there is a sort of, um, I think there's a, a gravitas and, a, and an ease that is, um, is quite palpable, really. And I think that's, that's been a change from 10 years ago. I mean, you know, he, he, he was, when I was filming him 10 years ago, he was in his late 50s. So he wasn't a young man, but he was, um, I think, less certain of the way things were going. And this now, I feel that he's, you know, he's comfortable in in the role that he has. When now that he is uh, standing in for the Queen quite often, and supporting her in public as well, you know, rather touching scenes that you you get, like when at the Garter ceremony they were coming down the steps outside St George's Chapel, and. Um, the place would normally have been taken by the Duke of Edinburgh, but he wasn't there, of course. And and the Prince of Wales came across to sort of check that his mother was OK coming down the steps. I suspect probably got told, I'm quite all right, <laughs> <laughs> um, as as people of that age are prone to do. Um, and um, But he's solicitous for her, you know, to make sure that she's OK. On the other hand, he doesn't want to to step in to sort of um you know she she needs you know thank goodness she's very she's very fit and in good health, and so she wants to keep you know keep on like that and without him as it were sort of getting in the way but he he looks out for her
1: it, i mean strange, it is a strange a strange job to have when you spend your life waiting and ultimately. You're waiting for this big job that may be yours one day in the future, but it will coincide with the with the death of your mother. Yes, and it is. I think a, a, sort of a, a sense of the strangeness of that position came over in your in your film, and, the, and actually that he has made the most of his time waiting, and it's he's made well that's, his time in between valuable. Yes,
0: that's what I'd say. He hasn't hung around waiting. Um, he's you know he's gone on with what he feels he can do that is useful and and that's very full-time occupation you know I mean he is incredibly busy and hard working I don't think people perhaps realize that because you know you have to be a bit of a geek to look at the court circular regularly but but um you know I'm sure we've
1: got plenty of geeks
0: listening (laughs) good (laughs) well I mean I you know it's my job to, to keep an eye on these things and so I I do look at the court circuit and, you know, there's quite a lot of activity there, but it doesn't tell half the story of what's actually going on. And he has meetings, sort of private business meetings with members of his charities, um, organizations which he's patron of and so on, on a regular basis. And I I asked them to count up how many there were in a year, and it's over 500 of these meetings, which are just sort of behind the scenes things um you know he's not he's not on parade as it were but those when you consider that there are a wide range of subjects and he needs to brief himself before each meeting you know he can't just sit there and and, um, and sort of take no interest in the detail he's very involved in detail and to do that he's got to bone up on the British Asian Trust um work or the Red Squirrel Society <laughs> or you know or he's president of the I, don't, I can't remember the proper botanical name but he's president of the Firm Association dealing with all different types of ferns. you know I mean all these things that he's involved with let alone the Royal Opera the Royal Collection uh, sort of bigger names like that but you've got to be across all that and and that's it's not just the meetings themselves it's the preparation as well.
1: And what's he like as a person in his sort of in his presence? How well, do you
0: see him? He's very gracious, I would say, is the first thing. Um, people have written about him being difficult and sometimes short-tempered and so on. Well, he's never been short-tempered or difficult with me. Uh, other people can speak for themselves, but I find he's always considerate. And and he is gracious. There's a there's an old world courtesy, and sort of um, uh, you know he, he he does think about how far people come to see him, and whether they need some refreshment, all that sort of thing. It's very it, it is considerate, and that's number one. He's he's very humorous. We had this funny. Um, experience of filming, which is in the film, of the prince and the duchess traveling on a rather rickety train, at the heart of Wales railway line, going up from um, Swansea, I think, to Shrewsbury, and it's it's a beautiful part of the world, um, but the trains are pretty infrequent, to be quite honest. I, I think there're maybe five a day, so it's not easy to be used by people. Um, you know, to get to and from places unless you've got all the time as a tourist. But nonetheless, it's still in existence. And he... We had this funny business of waiting on the platform for the train to arrive and it was eight minutes late. And it, was, it wasn't very well organised because they um, they put him. They, they, they got on first, naturally. Um, and they were put in the seat. As soon as you got in the door, they put them in the seats right by the door which meant that everybody else was piling in past them. And I thought this was, you know, bad planning, really, because, um, you know, it meant everybody sort of, oh, oh, you know, and stopped to sort of, you know, to be polite. Um, anyhow, eventually they were moved, but uh, but not before everybody had struggled past them. I was getting on carrying the tripod, um, the camera tripod, which is a particularly heavy one, and camera bags and so on. Well, the crew were behind me carrying all the rest of the stuff. And he looked at me and said, oh, oh, John, he said, I thought you had a trade union to stop you doing that sort of thing. <laughs> Which I thought was quite funny. Anyhow, we, um, we had a hilarious time on that train because it's not the sort of train you normally see them on. And partly because they would often travel on the Royal Train or they would travel... Very often, I would imagine they travel first class, but I don't. I don't think there was first class on this particular line. There's only normally two carriages. I think they put on another two to cope with all the press on it. But we we bowled along, and he and it was pretty definite because it was a very hot day, and he insisted, as he always does, to have the windows wide open. So, recording conversation in there was quite difficult because the train made a hell of a noise, um, and and there was sort of lots of people in the carriage as well. But anyhow, it was fun. We did it. And um, and I think, you know, I think they enjoyed it, although they tend to get talked to all the time. This is another thing that strikes you, is that whenever he goes, there's always there's always somebody who is on hand to explain what this or that is, and they just never stop talking. And I just, I had to say to his press officer, you know, be really nice, just let give them some space to look out of the window and look at the scenery rather than have somebody yakking at them all the time. I mean, I was doing a bit of yakking myself, <laughs> but I mean, you just need, and I'm sure they, they need a little bit of time to absorb the surroundings rather than having everybody explaining things to them endlessly. But that is... The sort of the peril, I suppose, of being on a royal visit.
1: There's always some children somewhere ready to sing you a song or give you a bouquet or or someone to. And so, his his sort of sense of humour did come come over. He was very much tickled by the whole black pudding incident, where there was a a a butcher who'd uh, locked himself in. We're just going to top up our top up our teas as we uh, as we chin wag away yeah. um, it, you know he, he locked himself in the freezer and managed to escape by using this frozen black pudding so sort there's of a battering ram to to unstick the button
0: had you heard that story before
1: I, I was aware of the story but I wasn't aware of the, sort of the connection with the like well, Charles's local butcher I can it? tell
0: you something funny about it because I, I didn't have space to put this in the film but he you know he wanted to go and visit this this butcher, Sheridan's in um, in Ballater, the little town next door to Balmoral, and um, because Sheridan's had supplied this this black pudding, uh, the, the frozen black pudding, which got the man out, and uh, another butcher, and the butcher in question who got trapped in his cold room, was in Devon, in the town of Topness. And he started, the prince started telling the story in the car and the prince was driving. So the only, because he got his detective in there as well, um, only the cameraman could go in, in the car, but in the back seat and he was filming as they were driving along. And he saw, you know, he got the prince's eyes in the mirror, um, and, and the prince started telling the story. He said, I want to go and visit the butcher because I must congratulate him on his black pudding, um. And and he started telling the story About how this butcher in Totnes Had got trapped And my cameraman said Well I live in (laughs) Totnes It was the most extraordinary coincidence Um, And he said yes it's Mr. McCabe Is the butcher in Totnes And Prince of Wales said Well will you please give him my congratulations (laughs) When you next see him And so he, he did My cameraman went to see Mr. McCabe Told him this And of course Mr. McCabe Thought he was just pulling his leg. You know. <laughs> he thought, you know, pull the other one. You know, you've, you've been talking to the Prince of Wales oh earlier. Yeah. And um, anyhow, next time we saw the Prince, we told him, and he said, uh, My cameraman said, Ashley, I passed on your congratulations. And um, Prince Charles was really delighted.
1: He <laughs> gave <laughs> For, the, for our American listeners, who may not be familiar with a black pudding, um, it, yeah. it was a it was, um, in its biggest form. It was a it was a, basically a giant sausage.
0: Yes, sausage which made could, of blood,
1: which more get, or less, which gets cut up and and cooked as part of a full English breakfast. That's right, and can be quite delicious.
0: Can be um, quite delicious. Not everybody's cup of tea, no, it? no, but but it's yes, it's and it's very popular in Scotland but it's, and in the north of England, particularly, particularly
1: isn't it? it? It's making me hungry now. The um, the uh, delight at the smell of the wine-fuelled car that uh, yeah. <laughs> William and Kate had driven round on their wedding day it was also
0: Yes, he's very keen on sustainable fuel,
1: and he is, he does seem very natural talking with people. He sort of a bit of an old smoothie at times, like, just chatting, you know, chassing with people. And sort well, you know,
0: of this is I, self-deprecating, and absolutely, and, I think it's... I tried to convey this in the film, but it's my feeling that. This is going to be a major step change in the next reign. So he, he's going to be our next king, and it will be—it will feel quite different. And I don't think people realise this yet. The thing is that Queen has been on the throne for what is it now, sixty-six years, and it's an amazingly long time. And you know, very few people in the country can remember George the Sixth. Um, And they don't realise that there is more than one way of being sovereign. And, you know, each king or queen has their own style, their own character. And the queen is doing things differently from her father. And George VI did things differently from George V. And this is natural because it's just one person. And they have to do it in the way that they feel is right for them and the way that they feel the way the public expect them to behave as well and I think people will, you know, the Queen started the walkabouts, although actually there are one or two walkabouts that George VI did they weren't called that then Um, but you do see George VI and his wife Queen Elizabeth um, doing talking to members of the public, but it was pretty unusual and then the Queen really got it going in the 60s and it's developed from that and Obviously, Prince Charles has been doing it for years, and I was very struck by the way, by his, the way he handled this when he's meeting complete strangers. He gets very put off by people holding up their phones and taking, um, taking pictures of him, because he's trying to talk to them, and only get, suddenly you get an iPhone stuck in your face. It's a bit off-putting. And he, whenever anybody asks him for a selfie, he always says, I'm trying to give them up. Um, LAUGHTER but he he has a very interesting way of communicating with complete strangers. And that is it's not just polite conversation. He tries to find a connection. You know, he, he'll... I mean, there was a bit in the film where he's talking to these students in Durham about how many essays a week they write and relating it to his own experience when he was at Cambridge. And that's... I think it's, it's really touching because he's looking for a connection, a shared experience in that brief moment that he's talking to them. And often he will, it won't just be one moment of conversation. He will ask a supplementary. And and there's a, you know, there is a, re, he gives people his full attention and then moves on to somebody else. And I think people will find this very different because it's not Her Majesty's style. And I think she's, she has found, I mean, she does talk to people in crowds, but it's a, it's a more... It's, it's less easy. And I don't think she's ever found that easy. And he's found a, a way of doing that. And I think that's going to be very different in the next reign. He will still be formal. I mean, you know, he's got a style that is dignified and formal when necessary. But he's also got an informal manner with a lot of humour, um, which I think he's picked up a lot from his father... It's a sort of, I mean, it's not quite such risque humour as his father. <laughs>
1: Fortunately. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but he's got a, it, it's a really interesting um, mixture and a blend of, of the formal and the informal. And people find that they've got a, a monarch who's actually quite um, quite easygoing in that way. And it, it would be refreshing I think.
1: And I think we got a flavour of that with the two pictures that they chose to release for the birthday. So there was the, you know, the traditional formal one, which we've come to expect, and then the one where they were all falling about laughing. I mean, I'd, I would love to know what was going on behind the camera there. Were you there when that was that? No, I that wasn't, wasn't, wasn't there. Your, I
0: desperately wanted to film it, but I wasn't allowed to because it was being held back for the actual birthday, which is fair enough. Um, it was lovely. And I think they were really apprehensive about whether the children were going to behave for that event. Because, of course, you know, you never know with children of that age whether Ooh. they're all going to be in tears or whatever. Um, but it's very interesting. And it's, it's nicely colour coordinated because they're all wearing blue and white, aren't they? I yes. Mean, um,
1: Perfectly colour coordinated.
0: And the interesting thing is that Prince Charles is wearing a tie, um, suit and tie. So there's, there's that formality whereas his sons are in open-neck shirt. Um, But they're in a suit as well. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a very... It's one of the best photographs I've ever seen, actually, both of him and of the whole family, you know, in terms of the sort of... You feel this is a really fun family.
1: It's almost, you know, my... Again, back to my dad he was terrible for it when we would all get together. It's not one of those ones where you had to put the camera down, set the little timer, and then run back and switch <laughs> yourself in, which is probably what most of us do to get those no, family pictures. A
0: very impressive photographer called Chris Jackson who took that, and he worked with us. Um, you know, well, we, we were working alongside each other. Let's put it like that. Mm. Photographers always complain about television crews getting in their shots. All I say is. Um, you can see lots of Chris Jackson in our footage as he's leaping in front of the camera. <laughs> you, can't see, you can't see any of us in his footage.
1: <laughs> I must ask, did you twig that there was um, baby news coming imminently? Were you, were you privy to privy no, to that or suspect it?
0: I wasn't at all. I mean, I noticed when we interviewed Prince Harry, which was before he went to Australia, so and before the baby news, he talked about his father getting energy from his family and from the grandchildren and hopefully grandchildren to come, he said. Yes. And that was obviously he knew. Uh, I, I, it did cross my mind, but then I thought, well, it's a reasonable thing to say because you you may may well say, well, I'm hoping we're going to have children. Mm. Um, I think he's probably said that before anyway, but it was now I look back and I think, oh, yes, that's actually <laughs> that's what that was about.
1: And the did he, so did you get to see him with his grandchildren
0: at all no, during your filming? Unfortunately, not. Um, it, you know, the thing is, they they don't meet in the normal course of events that often. There are, of course, private meetings, but they like to, they like to keep that private. And I think it's partly that um, Duke of Cambridge has. As, you know, very understandably, has protected his children from being too exposed to the media, and that's one aspect of it, I suspect. Um, but also, you know, their moments, their, their time together is quite private, and much as we would all like to see more of that, um, they keep, you know, they like to keep a bit of privacy there, and we did get a lovely photograph, which hadn't been seen before, of Prince Charles with Prince Louis, and sort of... Um, playing with him. Another um, Chris
1: Jackson special. <laughs>
0: yes, it was. And then there's another picture, which is lovely also, which is in the background of the interview we did with the Duchess of Cornwall, which shows her granddaughter being whirled around by mm-hmm. uh, by the Prince of Wales. And, you know, sort of it, it, it was it's sort of the thing, you know, we all like to do with children. And it's rather touching that you see that in a completely informal moment, because it's I think it's in the garden of her house and I don't know who took it but it's it's a it's one of those just family snaps really.
1: In William was talking about wanting his dad to have more time to be able to spend with the grandchildren and um in an interview that um Camilla gave yes. to the Sunday Telegraph she was talking about how he you know he'll get her up get down on the floor and scramble about with them and just you know he's he's fun grandpa he's not Yes.
0: But uh, you know it's it's his I know it's 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 a tricky thing. The, uh, Prince of Wales has a very full schedule. And I think they really have to sort of map out time slots. Mm. It's not a question of thinking, oh, what should we do this weekend? <laughs> should we pop round and see the grandchildren?
1: <laughs> Let's just make it up.
0: And yeah. also, you know, Duke and Duchess of Cambridge have, have quite um, their own commitments. Mm. So, yeah, uh, I mean, it, it needs arranging. But... Um, Hopefully, they. I'm sure in the summer when they're, I mean they're all up in Scotland together, there's a lot more time together then.
1: Um, and finally, you asked Prince Charles. There's a discussion to sort of the meddling versus motivation, yes. and whether he would carry on doing that as and when he does become king. a little bit of a discussion about what kind of king he might be. What kind of king do you think do you think he'll
0: be? Well, he said. He said several times that he wasn't going to carry on, as it were, carry on. I use, I don't mean it pejoratively, but he wasn't going to um, be as involved as he has been as Prince of Wales because he sees the two roles as being different. And he, I, he thinks people are mistaken to think the Prince of Wales has to behave as though they're the monarch. Um, you know, Princes of Wales have latitude to get involved, and he feels, provided he's not being part of political then it's all right, and that's, you know, some people would quibble with that, but that's his view, and that's the way he's conducted himself. I think you have to take it abs- <coughs> sorry, absolutely at face value that he, is, he does completely know, and he, I suspect he doesn't like being lectured by people who are probably half his age about how to behave as monarch, because he knows perfectly well how to behave as monarch. There is, on the other hand, I think it's fair to say he's coming to the throne with 50 years of experience of public life. You know, if he he came to the throne tomorrow, it would be of that order. When the Queen came to the throne at the age of 25, she'd had, um, well, the equivalent would be five years of time in public life. And that was as a naval wife um, living some of the time in Malta. And you know, not tremendously involved and, and anyhow, women were not greatly involved in things then anyway, so it was he she came with very little experience of the world in all its variety. He comes with a massive amount, and of course we know he's got opinions, but he's also got ideas, and I find it i think it'll be quite possible that he will he's not going to make speeches attacking GM crops or, uh, you know, all that sort of thing in, in when he's king. Of course not. But he knows so many people. He's networked so much all his life. And I think he will still be um, tossing out ideas in private, which he does at the moment. And he'll carry on doing that. That's different. And you know, people say, oh, he'll, you know, of course he'll just be able to talk to the Prime Minister. Well, I think that's ridiculous. I mean, the poor man is not going to be confined to just talking to the Prime Minister once a week. He will be talking to all sorts of people. And, you know, you don't have to be publicly involved, but you you can suggest... Not I'm not talking to politicians necessarily, but to people who run charities and who run um, organisations that are there for the benefit of the community. He can be suggesting things. And he knows... He he's, he puts people in touch with with other people not only in this country and around the world. He's been involved. One of the things I was sad not to get in the film is his Turquoise Mountain Foundation, which is this extraordinary charity. People have very little idea about. It's in operates in Afghanistan, um, the Syrian refugee camps in Jordan, Saudi Arabia, and Burma, where they're not only restoring wrecked buildings but they're. Um, Running courses to train people in traditional crafts, so that they can earn their living, and it's 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 about trying to regenerate um, life for people in distressed areas. Now, that that sort of thing, he he has a lot of experience of at a distance, and can put people in touch with each other. And I think that sort of thing will go on. So, his he's not going to become. A sort of, uh, you know, a new, well, he will be neutral, of course, but he's not going to be neutered. He will, he's got that passion and he's got that um, knowledge and experience, which I think he will find ways of imparting to others, but it doesn't have to be done in public.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today. Maybe who Real knows pleasure. maybe we'll be here again in 10 years time <laughs> talking about Prince Charles King Charles at, at 80. Well, he said
0: to me he said oh gosh 80 next.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh well, um, happy birthday to Prince Charles. We wish him many more uh, happy returns to come as well. And thank you John for joining us.
0: Been a great pleasure Anne. thank you. Pod save the Queen.